And this is the first episode of Morning Shot Uncut, where we will say things that YouTube will uh, destroy us for. So that's why we decided to create the Morning Shot Uncut podcast. We hope to have an hour a week for you, and it'll be exclusive to Substack. It will be free, but we might have a paywall on Substack for spicier content in time to come. So if that sounds appealing to you, subscribe on Substack, because... This is where we are. But anyway, joining me is Byron, as always, from Kabuki Land, with a very squeaky chair. So I do apologize in advance if you hear all sorts of weird noises. Uh, that's not Byron, it's his chair. Yeah, sure. Why not? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, you'll notice that we sat down for this. It's a more relaxed show. We don't really think that we're going to be too worried about what we say. Unlike our usual YouTube content where we get copyright struck every three minutes or we get a, a warning of don't say this because it's untenable or I don't know, whatever other bullcrap YouTube guidelines they come up with, we can actually just talk freely here and not have to worry about constant censorship. So we hope that you enjoy this format and uh, we hope that it becomes something more uh, enjoyable for the audience. Yeah, very much so. So let's start off with uh, Gwede Montache and his pasty for bribery. So for those who might not know, Gwede Montache, Jesus Christ, Byron, my word, that chair of yours. For those who don't know, Gwede Montache now will start to control ESCOM under his portfolio as minister of whatever minister he, he, he controls. And uh, as we well know, under the right to left, mostly because Gwede Montache is a prick. And secondly... We know for a fact, thanks to Andrew Dereta and various other articles, that Gwede Mantashe prevented ESCOM from actually helping itself survive, right? There's been, there's been applications on his desk that haven't been signed in for up to a year uh, because he didn't want to sign them. And we know why he doesn't want to sign them. It's because, well, he is very keen on these power ships. They're going to come through. They're going to cost 220 billion rand for the next 20 years. They don't provide that much power for the most part, but he is... 2% to the national grid. Right, and he's dead keen on them. And the only reason he's dead keen on them, based on my sources, is because that bastard is getting a huge cut. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the only reason he's keen on them is because that bastard is getting a huge cut of that $220 billion. And when I'm saying huge cut, I mean several billion rands during the course of that particular contract. So is this any surprise, Byron? Destroy ESCOM. Here's a solution, everyone. Just in time for 2024... Yeah, but the little fucker is not actually understanding something. It's not going to be enough, is it? So we're still going to have load shedding. So he's going to go out there and sign the country up to this stupid, dumbass crap on those bloody ships. Then we're all going to be like, yay, 2% into the fucking grid. The grid is running. I mean, they said this this week the grid was running at uh, only about 46% operational capacity. 46% mate. What do you think bloody adding 2% to the grid's going to do? It's going to do fuck all. You know what actually needs to happen is he needs to improve the power stations that are there. But to a large degree, he actually went off and he said something this week that was rather important, wasn't he? He says, "I don't build power power stations." It's like, "Yes mate, that's the fucking problem, isn't it? You are meant to build power stations so that we don't have to worry about the existing ones as they decay." So what he actually needs to do is he needs to go create new infrastructure but the commie bastards are always the same aren't they like why create anything remember commie logic redistribute yourself into prosperity we never create fuck all so why the hell would they sit down and actually create a power ship like this or or new power stations these guys are like beyond useless and the question i want to know is like at what point do south africans just get so fed up 
that we take a page out of the French Revolution and we just start doing like guillotines on the mass stage. Like that, that's what I, I really want to know that. Because first of all, hold on. First of all, firstly, that is uh, that is cultural preparation of my particular culture. Only we're allowed to do that. No one else in Africa. We well, then you get to like, wear the hood, yeah. What do we like? How do summary executions happen in Africa? Firing squad. Yeah, but we don't we, we don't know any bullets because we're too poor. So I'm thinking like maybe like the the assegai, stabbing people in the throat. Oh, you mean the short spear? <laughs> yeah, the Zulus call it the. I can't speak Zulu. The tikwa, tikwa. I don't know. It made this particular shocker. Zulu is technological innovation. He was like, yes. you know, for centuries we used these amazing thing called long spears. Yeah. But me, I'm an innovator. I came up with this idea. It's called a short spear. It's like <laughs> technically innovative. Like wow, yeah, yeah short yeah. spear. We'll, we'll take over Africa. But meanwhile, like several dozen bulls just like kill three thousand Zulu warriors in one go, and they're like, ah, oh, fuck. With this amazing thing called a gun. Yeah. Like, anyway. Yeah, boomsticks. Yeah. Um, but the, the important part is we think whatever happened to Shaka Zulu's warriors might have to happen to Gwede Mantashe. Because, I mean, if you're shooting with bullets, <clears throat> you'll need quite a few to get through that gut. That's for sure. But if you stab him, it's less effort. I don't get it, man. Like, the guy's, the guy's not even... He's nothing more than a traitor at this point. Like he's deliberately sabotaging the infrastructure of the state and he's impacting people's lives. Like people are dying, man. Like they can't get oxygen in hospitals or they can't get fed because the food's there or it's impacting their livelihoods. Or And this guy's sitting there thinking about, hey, my kickback from the power ship, hey, yeah, it's going to be good. And you're like, at what point do people just say, you know what, fuck this shit. Like we just need to, this, this guy needs his kamatans. Like he is, there's enough's enough. Unfortunately, as you're very famous for saying, Ramon, this is Africa and uh, comeuppance never exist. Yeah, comeuppance never exists indeed. And speaking of load shedding, I mean, you know, people have called us flippant for saying that, you know, just mark a plan. And for the most part, I think that is a reality for most people. But uh, News Beijing 24 uh, wrote a whole article about load shedding killing businesses, right? And it's dire out there. It's really dire. You've got butcher shops closing down. Um, you know, he opened it seven years ago. He expanded it to three shops during the last few years. But now he's unable to carry on. Uh, he's got a budget of close to 500,000 Rand for equipment breakdowns and stock losses in 2022, which is a great deal of money for, for yeah, a butcher. I've got to stop you there for one second. Huh? Yeah. Just, just go back. See where it says an error in judgment said. Say the name. Navlaki. Right, and the whole point is the reason I'm showing you that is these are the so-called transformed businesses, right? This is the these are the businesses that we are told on a daily basis South Africa so desperately needs for transformation. It needs to have the small business enterprise from the previously disadvantaged. Well, there they are, mate, and the government is killing the bloody things. And you know for a fact, like next year, all we're going to hear is, "Oh, the economy isn't transformed enough. The Watis own everything." You're like. Yes, mate, because all the blacks that were there getting themselves sorted out with their own small businesses and becoming self-reliant, you fuckers killed off, didn't you? 
But you know, so you know for a fact it's all going to be Whitey's fault next year, right? Yeah, well, this year at least. This year at least. So, I mean, of course, load shedding hits productivity in terms of uh, manufacturing businesses dramatically. Fifty percent of the productivity is is actually gone. And when you look at it, if you if you really really think about it, load shedding is nothing more than lockdown by another name, right? So the one was like a health biological lockdown. This is a pure economic lockdown of small and medium businesses. But again, what can you do? Get off the grid, all that sort of stuff. Sure. But nothing's going to change, my friends. Low is going to be here until Jesus comes back or 2024 when the, when the ANC loses an election. Unless the power ships hoodwink enough people to believe that low shedding has been solved. But it's a fuck up for everyone. It, it really, really is. Thankfully, not for, for, for our business. Thankfully, it's mostly digital. Uh, but if we had ma- manufacturing businesses or, or things or factories or things like that, it's really tough out there. Don't think we were being flippant about it. It is really tough out there. No, man, my restaurant's off grid. I have a restaurant in PE. It's off grid. Oh, oh, as well. But what about the hot plates and stuff? Well, there's no hot plates, man. I mean, the whole, the when I created the stoves, the stoves were all wood fire. They were deliberately wood fire. I mean, that's actually what I sell the restaurant as. Wood fire. But why was it wood fire? Because I knew load shedding, man. Like, I don't want to be in load shedding and be like, ah, I can't run the place. So, yeah, everything's wood fire. Yeah, and See, you... return to tradition. Yeah. Wood Use fire. Wood. Use wood. But here's the thing. When Gwede Montasha is so fucking flippant about this, like, oh, don't blame me. I don't build power stations. Oh, don't blame me. I don't run ESCOM. Like, he's so flippant about it. And the real consequences are so dire for so many people. How many cases have we seen where people die because they don't have oxygen, right? They've got a medical condition. They need oxygen to stay alive and it goes off, right? My wife works at the public hospital, uh, the big one in Johannesburg. They've got a generator, sure. It hasn't been serviced in 20 years and maybe there's diesel for it. Maybe there isn't. But people literally die in front of her because there's no ways to resuscitate them because the electronic machine things don't work because there's no oxygen going to the oxygen mask and things like that. Like people are literally dying. Businesses are being destroyed. The lockdown of South Africa is, is, is rampant. And these guys are like, oh, well, I don't build power stations, so fuck you. They deserve yeah, death, but my friends. But I can get you a power ship that gives you 2% yeah. extra capacity. And, uh, you know, the good, the good news is I get a kickback and a nice pension, right? It's like choosing of the highest order, man. Like, right, where, at what point in time do we just say these guys have blood on their hands? They need to answer for it. Yeah, yeah. And you answer blood with blood. And I don't know if we'll go to the Human Rights Commission for this podcast. Maybe. It wouldn't be a bad first one <laughs> if that happens. But but really, these, these fuckers are just absolutely... I, I, don't, I don't know what the term is. Like, you know, where you, where you just can't forgive anything or forgive anyone for what they do. It's just beyond the pale. That's who they are. Yeah. But then saying that, you know, when I set my business up here in 2018, I knew load shedding was a thing and I invested in a small UPS then so that I would never go off grid. And whilst we've had all these shitty stages of load shedding in South Africa, I've never been one day offline. Now, obviously, since that time, I've obviously upgraded it with backup panels and I've got 18 panels on the roof now and big off batteries and I've improved the system a lot since 2018, but I've never been a day without it. And that's why we did that video where we said to you that, you know, it's it's like silly to be in 2027 and not actually have a plan to negate against load shedding. It's like it's not going away. It's never going away. And, you know, it's, it's like even if we got the DA in here tomorrow, I don't think the DA could fix this. 
as we saw in another article today, there's no spare parts for the blown transformers now in, in Johannesburg. So even if you went there and tried to get all of them to be repaired tomorrow, you're still going to be without electricity in some places because the transformers are blown. There's no parts to replace them. So you have to kind of look at this and be like, ah, you know, it's not, there's no real short-term fix anymore. In which case the only kind of fix is to take it into my own hands and create something. And it's with that news that another article that came across that desk today really left me confused, man. And that was, you know, Mr. Price. Mr. Price was moaning because apparently they're suffering huge economic losses due to load shedding, which I understand. And I understand why they'd be suffering those economic losses because of load shedding. In another respect, it's not a freaking factory, is it? It's a bloody store. Like, how does Mr. Price not have a backup plan in place in order just to ensure that the store continues to operate and take funds during load shedding? Like, it can't be more than a, than a UPS. Like, it's not like they need big, massive fuck of things to run a, a full-on manufacturing plant. So, so what the hell is these guys' problem? You're on mute, Ramon. Sorry, we're not editing this. It is uncut after all, so I was on mute like a moron. Uh, well, I mean, this is this is basically the, the entire audited figures for, for last year, and they say load chaining is bad. But I don't think... Yeah, so they lost 44% of its first half of trading hours in September alone. Mm. I suppose in those scenarios, I mean, if you are in a big mall somewhere and they are not prepared for load chaining, as many of them are, I mean, the generators alone cost a few million bucks, right, to run. Especially for a mall, for a mall and then on diesel you're going to spend a minimum of a million rand a month depending on how much load shedding is required i, I know friends who own like for small centers yeah for the whole mall i know friends who own shopping centers um small ones like 20 shops or restaurants whatever the case might be they're spending the three four hundred thousand a month on diesel for mm. their generators imagine a mall like a mall of africa or, or something like that must be in the millions every every yeah month. But then why aren't those malls kind of going all fuckish and just put, you know, again, solar, solar panels on the roof? I mean, they've got massive, huge capacity to check the whole place for solar. With that being said, I also appreciate that, you know, your checkers isn't going to run on a, on a solar panels top system for the bloody mm. fridges. Like, I'm, we're not stupid. Yeah. You know, checkers are also going to have probably all the, the cooking utensils for chickens and bread and all the other shit that goes with it. We understand that. But with all that being said, man, Mr. Price is just a closed store. Like, what the hell is wrong with it? Like, why can it not put something in place in order to at least take money to pay for clothes? Like, come on. Uh, I don't know. I think it, it depends on the mall entirely. I mean, you subject to the mall rules, and if the mall doesn't have backup plans, you don't have backup plans either. But the, the biggest, the biggest concern with all of this, uh, in, in what they say, is basically there's no official and detailed plan for the solution to all of this, right? You speak to the government, they're like, oh, well, it was not our fault. We all march against ourselves because this comes a fuck up, right? Uh, but there's no plan. There's, there's no there's no timesheets. There's no timelines. There's no concrete examples of what the government can do to solve this particular issue because they just don't give a fuck. Right? Just, fact check wrong. They did give a plan. They said that they oh. said that they could have this fixed within 6 to 12 months, remember? Yeah, they, said, they said, that said that in 2015. Oh, we did a new plan. I, they, did, they, did, they did that now, didn't they? Uh, and and Gordon, Gordon Guana said we could have this fixed within six to twelve months. And don't worry, in six to twelve months this will all be this will all be done. They recently said that. And loads of people are like, hmm, strange you saying that now that it's all going to Mantasha's portfolio. Like now he's like, nah, don't worry, guys, I can fix this in six to twelve months. Like yeah. 
with it's power ships. We all know it's bollocks. <laughs> oh, power ships. That provide 2% of the grid. Yeah. Yeah. Total, total cuck. Total cuck. I mean, I mean, sooner or later, there needs to be a revolution in South Africa in terms of holding these people to account. But for some reason, Byron, I actually want to talk about this, right? How come in other parts of Africa, like you get like violent uprisings, like Kenya had some at the elections in like 2002, if I remember correctly, Zimbabwe tried and then they got shot to death uh, two years ago, uh, other parts of Africa as well. But in South Africa, people are quite happy to just like burn down schools or whatever. And then that's it. What is it about the South African where there's no revolutionary zeal, despite what the government thinks? There is because the government keeps going on about a revolution. The FF keeps going on about a revolution. When it comes to actually revolutionary violence and zeal and the capacity to do so, fuck all, nothing. Oh, you mean like the rev- the revolutions we saw in the peaceful protests in Durban? They were actually nothing more than just like I want a free TV. Actually, had nothing to do with politics, and they were all like, ah, it shows you everybody's in support of Zuma. No, mate, it shows you everybody's in support of you know. Uh, 32-inch uh, Samsung TV that's smart capabilities and a new sofa. Like, that's actually what it shows you. But, you know, these guys uh, spin any bullshit story to kind of support their narrative. They'll all be like, ah, the revolution's coming. Like, man, no one wants a fucking revolution. They want a job and they want to go home and they want to watch Igoli on TV. Like, like nobody wants anything special. But Jesus, Igoli. man, look. Igoli died years ago, Byron. Where the, where the hell have you been? Have you seen SABC, man? Like, there's nothing on there apart from shows from 1920. Like, oh, right. there's no new content. I don't watch SABC. I don't have DSTV. I haven't had DSTV for seven years. And my life is so much better without it. Uh, I must be honest. The only thing I actually watch is YouTube. So, you know. YouTube. Like a real fucking millennial. Says you, Boomer. There's me. Uh, speaking of millennials, uh, we know what is wrong with them. Mental health, for the most part, right? And burnout. Because burnout's real and mental health is real. So the, the worst millennial in the world resigned recently. Jacinda Ardern, horseface herself, she's resigned because she cites burnout, which a fact check is completely utter bullshit because she would have lost the election later this year because Labour, her party, are polling very low for the most part. But what is interesting about Jacinda Ardern, number one, she's an authoritarian... I'm I'm trying not to swear too much on this podcast, but but she it really is the worst. Who cares? Of, like it's uncut, man. Like, no, I know, but still, but still, she really is the worst of liberal tyranny, right? She 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 made sure that people couldn't had to snitch on their neighbors. She said, "If you don't get tested, you will stay in the camp for fourteen days to get tested." With her stupid fucking voice, and she really is the worst element of modern Western democracy at the moment. And when and when she quits. She doesn't quit to be a better mother. She doesn't quit to be a better partner. Because of course she's not married because she's a fucking millennial, right? She doesn't quit to be a better partner to her partner, for lack of a better term. Even though Have you seen the guy? He's he looks like the world's man. largest soy boy. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he stays home and breastfeeds the child. Um, so she didn't quit for any of those reasons. She quit because she's got burnout. It's always about me. Me. Look at me. I got mental health issues. I got burnout. I would respect her far more. She's like, listen, bitches, I'm going, fuck this job. I'm going to look after my kids or my kid or whatever. The, the well, she says she wants to spend some time with the kid, doesn't she? She yeah, actually did say that. That's not the main reason. Said, the main reason was I'm burnt. Burnout. I got burnt. She says she's got nothing more in the tank to give. She's given everything in the tank. And, she, and the leader there needs the most to give. And she's got nothing left to give. The problem is that Jacinda is just like the world's largest, like, I don't know, 
as you say. Like, uh, let's not say too much that we go to the Human Rights Commission. Like, that that chick is just the worst, man. She is. She embodies everything that the WEF stands for. Like, her. It's funny actually if you stuck her and Trudeau in a, in a room and you gave them both wigs. I'm not. I'm pretty sure you couldn't tell them apart. They're that close to each other in terms of the bullshit they come out with. But you know, her policies have basically crippled New Zealand. New Zealand's open border policy means that even the New Zealanders are looking around at each other and going, hey, where's the New Zealanders? And now everybody's getting a bit fed up of her bullcrap. And, and rather than go, you know, I made some policy mistakes. You know, I tried my best for the country. I know that you guys are unsatisfied with that. So obviously this is a this is a democracy. You should vote me out and get the party that stands and represents you in. You know, and I take my defeat gracefully. She wants to go... I, I didn't lose. I didn't lose. I quit. I quit. Yeah. Yeah. You can fire me. And it's like a proper kind of, as you would say, it's a proper millennial mover. Yeah. No, it really is. She's running away before she was kicked out. And it's as simple as that. The world's a better place with her not in it. Watch her take a position as some bullshit mid-level bureaucrat at the World Bank or the WF or some other bullshit organization. Watch. Ooh. It's going to happen. She's going to get paid $50,000 to speak about her experiences as a PM and she's going to be like, everyone with to get vaccinated. Oh, fuck. I, I can't stand that woman. I'm not a misogynist, but I do hate her. In yeah, particular. Not, I love women. I hate her. So anyway, fuck you, Jacinda. Good riddance. You know I'm on solo, eh? Oh, right. Oh, well. It's, it's a podcast. Who cares? People, people, people can't see you getting angry. That's no, the best can, part. They can hear me. They want to see you angry. They can hear me. And in another case of fuck you to millennials, let's talk about the Human Rights Commission, who for once actually did their job properly, right? So the Human Rights Commission in South Africa, three years after the fact, they did their job properly. But remember Schweizer Reinecke? So everyone thought it was like a village in West Germany or something. But no, it's actually a town in South Africa where the most horrifically racist thing happened where you had kids purportedly separated in the class. They had a table with black kids and a table with white kids. The DA went all bossy and went all the way there to protest or to have a fact-finding mission like they in Iraq or something. And of course, all the usual racists from the EFF and others went there and protested and all the rest of it. And uh, only this week, the Human Rights Commission came out to say, uh, the person that you accuse of being racist wasn't even in that class. <laughs> she wasn't even a teacher in the class. I mean, come on. And the, the problem is now, this is becoming so routine. Every time we hear something gets referred to the Human Rights Commission for racism, you just know it's a false flag. It's like, and this also, you know, this is what people don't understand. This actually isn't good for the racist cause because the next time there's actually a proper racist event that needs investigating, do you know what all of us are going to say up front? Yeah. Uh, bitches, false flag, bitches, load of shit. And this is exactly what we're now seeing. I mean, how, how many of these cases actually, if you think about in the last few years that have gone before the Human Rights Commission for these racist comments or whatever bullcrap have actually been racist? I mean, you may recall the click scandal that, got half their shops burnt down by the uh, economic freedom fighters. And you may recall that even that report came out, no racism. Then there were all these other bullshit racist allegations that come out by the economic freedom fuckers. And what ends up happening to them? None of them are racist. And we see this over and over and over and over and over again. 
to the point where calling racism now, even the black majority are like, yeah, who's who's putting the race card this time? And mm. it actually does a disservice to the people that potentially could be a victim of it. Oh, but the, you know, that, that's a very old school boomer way of looking at Byron. Like, we know that racism is a weapon used by our enemies. So all of it, all of it must never be believed. Like even that freedom, that free state thing, right? The, all the horrible people at like some public pool. I mean, if you go to public pool, firstly, like check yourself. Um, but, but secondly, I'm sure that was a the EFF PSYOP, simple as that. Or those kids were in the wrong in some way and everyone reacted in, a, in, in, in the way that they did. Uh, was it a racist thing? I don't know. I wasn't there. Am I going to take a view on it? No. Do I think it's a false flag? Yes. But this why do is I say why. that? Because we have seen this happen before. And this is why. This, this dear viewer, is why. Because all the people go, ah, you people are racist, you white supremacists. Like, why don't you... Why don't you sit there and argue about everything that's going on with the racism in this country? Like, we just get the shit thrown at us. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You should sit there and just automatically criticize these people. We don't automatically react and criticize because of this, this very article. This individual's life in the Northwest was absolutely fucked up by an allegation that proved to be false. But look at the time. The allegation was made in 2019. It's 2023. The report's just come out. So that person's life got fucked up for three years by an allegation from some wanker who probably got put on Oprah to talk about their poor fifis because they were victimized. Because this is what happens. They get celebrated. That person's life gets absolutely fucking wrecked. And then all they do at the end of it is they go, oops, sorry, a mistake. Whoopsie. Like what should now be happening is that the damage caused to these people's livelihood, they should go and seek a civil case against the parties that made the allegation in the first place in order to recover compensation for the false allegation. If every fucker in the place did this, we'll watch all of those racist claims disappear because people will think twice before they start calling this because they know it's going to have an economic impact. Yeah, but that's assuming the justice system works, which we know doesn't work, Byron. <laughs> well, it did work recently. I mean, we recently saw a case where a SAPS individual, a member of SAPS, who was falsely accused of being racist, actually won their case against the state. And the state had to pay the individual nearly half a million rand in compensation for not taking the racist supposed allegation seriously. So what had actually happened was this was a white individual that was apparently very racist to two black individuals. They said, no, it wasn't. I, I did nothing. Like, I'm, I'm innocent in this. I didn't do what they claimed. And they were like, you must have because you what? And all oh, white people are racist and they must have done it. Like, it's kind of like hashtag believe all women, right? It's like now it's like oh, yeah. hashtag believe all blacks. And it's like, so they, <laughs> That's the title so of they the came. <laughs> Sorry? That's the title of the podcast. Hashtag believe all blacks. <laughs> you know, and so that, that came out there and they were like, oh, apparently these two black officers used the case as a way to basically get themselves off any form of criticism. They were like, oh, we asked that we asked our colleague for something. He said, no, no, we just called him racist because we just wanted him fired because, you know, it was just yeah. like. It was victimizing the other guy, knowing that if they claimed victimhood, everybody would rush to their side and go, oh, you poor people. When it was finally proved to Saps that these guys had lied, Saps did fuck all about it. And obviously the individual took Saps to court. 
Yeah. And, and won. And, and, that, and that's what the labor court found. Like the SAPs dismally failed to put an end to their racial harassment. The fake racial harassment to Anna Marie Wersthausen. So it's not a guy, it's a lady. I think, because she's whitey. I'm not a She's a white. No, I know. But uh, it, 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 it's weird. Like you can say whatever you want about whites in this country. And it's, uh, you can just get away with it, right? No, 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 mate. Again, fact check false. You what can say anything you want about whites anywhere in the world. It's not just this country. Look at the US. There's, there's a, there was somebody who went on a, on a TV show the other day calling for the mass murder of all whites because there was nothing redeemable about whites. Right, on an actual talk show. You know what happened to it? Book all. Everybody was like, you make a logical point. We should definitely kill all the white people. I mean, like, I, I, there's lots of good things about whites, like the croissant. It's not a bad thing. Well, you better buy whites. It's pretty good. French. The pizza. It's not too bad. Italian. they white, I think. Aren't they? I don't know. Well, as you will know, there is a... And this same individual who was also now doing various things to whiteies, have you? I don't know if you've heard about it, so I'll introduce it to you. We didn't really talk about this before. No. But there's this uh, Democrat leader now in the US, and she's introduced um, legisl- draft legislation into Congress. It's basically a new... It's actually called the Anti-Whiteness Bill. <laughs> I need to Google this. And the, the definition of whiteness is so vague. It could be like, according to some individuals that have read through the legislation as you know like whiteness now is like everything culturally western so if you turn up to work on time some people argue that's whiteness like do you remember and there's some people that say if you say that you work hard and you got good grades that's whiteness because now you remember like sometimes if you argue against fat people well that's your white privilege so according to the definition any form of these type of things where you argue these things could be whiteness and could land you up as a, fe- a federal crime because you committed whiteness, acts of whiteness. It's white supremacy. And white so, supremacy, according to the media these days, is fucking everything. Yeah, it's just, it's just surviving, right? It's just living. It's being born white, act of white supremacy. Uh, so it's Absolutely. called the, Le- the Leading Against White Supremacy Act of 2023. That's the one. Which would make it a federal crime not to just commit a crime that is inspired by white supremacy, but to post something on social media that promotes white supremacist views if someone else then sees it and commits a crime. What is a crime fueled by white supremacy? Well, I'm so glad that you said that, Ramon, because this is the actual thing. If you go through the bill, what is white supremacy? It's not defined. And according to the uh, lamestream media these days, fucking everything's white supremacy. You ate healthy, white supremacy. Going to gym, white supremacy. Got to work on time, white supremacy. Right? <laughs> it's true. I mean, we can find the articles white supremacy. all day long. Huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, astrophysics, uh, according to this article. White supremacy. Astrophysics is steeped in racism and white supremacy. Okay, so all of these things okay. are white supremacy. So, so if you <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson is a white supremacist because he's got a PhD in astrophysics. And think about this logically, right? So you, you go out there and you do a podcast on astrophysics. <laughs> Did you just commit some crime because you promoted somebody to do astrophysics? You white supremacist? Like, what a bullshit bill, I, man. I mean, like, t- yeah, okay. I don't think that will pass. But you know what is what is great? There was a tweet by some some Democrat, right? And I'll read it out for you. It's on the screen for anyone watching. IQ is a measure of whiteness. whiteness. And I'm like, 
That's super super based. <laughs> so now it's like saying, even being smart. Yeah. If you're smart and you got a high IQ, you that's are. white supremacy. And if you go online and tell anybody how to maybe improve their IQ and talk and do better in their life, like Jordan Peterson, well, that's promoting white supremacy, and therefore that's a federal crime. And off to jail you go. So, so, so basically, the claim is. IQ is a measure of whiteness. So the higher the IQ, the more white you are. So are you inferring, ironically, white supremacy? That blackness is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not our claim. It's this, this person's claim. This uh, person's claim. If you're watching on video, this is what you can see. So essentially what, what she's saying is the, more, the, the higher your IQ, the more white you are. So she's saying only white people have high IQs. Because A, that's bullshit. We know Indians do far better and, and Asians, Chinese do far better in terms of IQ. Oh, Asians and Chinese and are Jews. basically outstripping everybody. And, and everybody. Jews. Are Jews white? I don't, I don't really know. If you look at the average white schmo in the world, they're like mid-tier like at best. Like they're above Africa, but way behind Asia and Israel in terms of IQ. But according to her, the higher your IQ, the whiter you are. So only white people are intelligent or have a high IQ. It's, it's a bad tweet. Or maybe she is just super based and made a pertinent point. I have my doubts about that though. But think about this logically. Like, imagine a white guy goes and he submits a bill to, you know, Democrats and he says, uh, we're going to have the uh, bill against blackness and any individual that promotes black supremacy or black nationalism, like, as a federal crime. They'd be like, Jim Crow rules, Jim Crow! And it's like, but this is why I said, fact check false. Like, it's, it's now the popular thing, regardless of what country, to turn around and just be like, hey, white people are bad. Let's introduce legislation against them. Like all white people are trash. You know, it's like so it's not it's not just South Africa. The only difference is I think that we're more advanced on this track than anyone else. Yeah, and the worst thing is like I'm not a white supremacist, right? I speak to Byron often about this and I speak to my audience often about this. Like the worst people in South Africa are sort of Anglo Anglo Karens, like white Karens. And we don't like, so we're not white supremacists, but every time someone says something <clears throat> about whiteness and about it being evil and supreme and all that sort of stuff, I'm like, I just tend to start agreeing with them. Not because I believe it, but just to annoy people even more. It's like, just, yeah, yeah, whites are better. Are you happy now? I'm better because I'm white. It's just, you say it, I just agree with you. Is that racist to agree with the black person now? I don't know. But I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I, it's actually it's worthwhile doing some some actual uh, definitions here, and that is we said Anglo's. So what we actually mean is we mean the white South Africans that are of English origin. We don't actually mean the Afrikaans South Africans because it's funny. Like if you look at the population as a whole, Afrikaners aren't in a rush to leave that quickly because Afrikaners understand something. There's only one country in the world you can be an Afrikaner, and that's South Africa. Right, the minute you leave South Africa and you go to Australia, you you become Australian, and your kids will be Australian. They're no longer Afrikaner, so you can't teach them your Afrikaner ways because your culture's gone the minute you leave. Yeah, Anglo's, however, don't feel like it because it's like even in England, the English almost don't want to promote their own culture. There's a massive counterculture against English culture. They they hate it. They almost the very people who speak against the English culture and the English white culture are the English white people. They're the ones who hate it the most. And you see that in South Africa too. The very people who hate the white people the most are typically the white people. And unfortunately that that leads into the narrative 
for some of the black people who want to be black nationalists. They're like, yeah, yeah, you see, even they understand that the white people are evil. And you can see that even now. Like, just look at any of the bullshit black supremacy crap that you get out of any politician. It's come straight out of a Karen's mouth from the U.S. about systematic racism and this, this, that. And it's usually some white chick in the U.S. that that wants to like wear African clothing and put braids in her hair or something. She's the one who's sitting there moaning about this shit. Yeah, and she don't know what the fuck she's talking about. So it's like, yeah, I don't, man. It's a, it's a worldwide thing. And one of the best examples. I don't know if you saw the EFF. They were disgusted by the image of white staff at a high school. Like the very image disgusted them. They are disgusted, but not flabbergasted. <laughs> That's the no, so what they what the they're saying thing. is they're not surprised because, as the EFF keeps saying, like but, white supremacy in this country has just got it's so it's so out of control now that that they just don't even hard it anymore, according to the EFF. Yeah, but they're, they're not flabbergasted. Uh, as someone uses the thesaurus, so well done to them. Uh, they, they flabbergasted, not flabbergasted, sorry, by the blatant display of perceived white supremacy and institutionalized racism demonstrated by the Strand High School. What picture led them to think there's institutionalized white racism at Strand High School? Oh, it's a, it's a picture of like teachers, white teachers, <laughs> like just like poppies, pretty ones, uh, who are yeah teachers at at a high school in in Strand, which as far as I know has a black population of zero point two percent, so it is quite racially demographically appropriate. Uh, <laughs> These, these people yeah actually, but you're thinking like a colonizer my friend you're thinking like ah racial racial proportionality should be what the what the constitution originally envisaged which is the number of jobs in proportion to the the actual proportionality of those individuals in society but as you've seen in the ANZ cabinet you know like obviously if we take that proportionality and that diversity to its logical conclusion then all we do is obviously we only employ black people in the ANZ cabinet I mean that's pretty diverse according to me I mean I'm Okay. Yeah. And that's pretty much the EFF's view, you know, like diversity in the all white school should be all black teachers, preferably ones that also go to work with ESF logos and merchandise. So, you know, the funny part about this whole thing, like, okay, I'm, I don't know this. I didn't check, but how much do you oh. want to bet? It's probably like some white Karen who's an EFF member in the Western Cape that wrote that. Like, and this is exactly what we're talking about, right? It's like, <sighs> I, I don't think that is the case. I think it was written by the EFF just because it, it's got their stylistic press statement things. Like, we are shocked, but not flabbergasted. It's like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> like, rather than Zulu or Venda, if you care so much about white supremacy. Like, why are you using the, you know, the why are you using the colonizers like, to express your, your lack of flabbergastedness? I don't even, I don't even know that's a term. So it's, the, it's the equivalent of us writing an article about VBS. We are shocked. But not flabbergasted that the EFF stole the money. Like it's, yeah. See? See no, how this works? No, we're really not. But, but what, what interested me about that particular press statement was the fact that they are, like, literally being white is like a crime now for the EFF. That, that's the point I was yep. trying to make. Um, yeah. So I don't know, Byron. What else is there to talk about? Hey, man, I don't know. Like, government at the moment is all sitting back kind of like in the, in the, in Davos. I say the government, obviously Ramaphosa didn't go, but uh, the other morons did. They all went to, to Davos. And actually the, uh, 
CEO of uh, the JSCs in Davos trying to sell all the uh, first world countries to maybe invest in South Africa. And actually, she wrote an article or she made an allegation there that I thought was rather interesting. So for those of you who don't know, I, I do work in finance. And if you look at the JSC, the JSC this year is actually outperforming the NASDAQ or the FTSE, the FTSE 100. That's a fact. So in my own share portfolio, I think the JSC is up like 10% and my US my US portfolio is down like 47%. It's like pretty, pretty dire. Uh, a lot of that is due to the collapse in US tech, tech stocks. But this individual makes a very interesting argument. And that is, she says, as the CEO of, uh, of the JSC, the reason that the JSC is up 10% on the year is that as an emergency market, as an emerging market, we're actually doing far better than anybody else. And she says, according to her, that the reason for this is because investors in the past have shied away from us because they felt that we were a risky, unstable place. But what they're now saying is that actually people want to come to us because according to them, inflation and high interest rates and economic in, or should we say political instability are the norm in South Africa. She says that high inflation, high interest rates and political instability are now, are now being introduced to Western nations traditionally. And so according to her, because it's the norm here in bizarro world logic, we're actually more, we're more stable because our chaos is the norm here. So we're, we've stabilized with it. We aren't panicking. Whereas there's other countries that are getting the chaos. It's not the norm for them. And so you should invest in South Africa because chaos is our norm. It's an interesting, it's an interesting claim. It's very, it's very unique. You're on mute. Gosh, I'm sorry, I'm on mute. Yes, this is a podcast uncut, so there you go. The interesting claim is that uh, South Africa is in, a, in an advantageous position because it still has kept trade ties with Russia. So therefore, it, it can still be a net exporter of food and various other things. Mm. So I suppose she means we import Russian food and export it from here to wherever it needs to go. I don't know if that really makes yeah, sense. So basically, South Africa has become a trading post as a middleman. And, and we all know how South Africa works, right? If you want to do well with the state, you become a middleman. You, yeah. you add your margin, and that's how you make your money. You create fuck all. You just pitch yourself in the middle. And apparently, this is now what we're telling to the international audience. We are professional at ourselves in the middle, middlemen, and we do it on behalf of Russia. That way, you can buy your Russian stuff without buying your Russian stuff. You bought it from South Africa, not the Russians. Yeah, I think that's what Turkey's doing with a lot of other stuff as well from, from Russia. So we'll see where this goes, but it's, it's not a terrible argument. Like, the reason why you should invest in South Africa is because it's been a shit show for 15 years. So therefore, we sort of used to and it. And that shit show is now normal. Yes, so like normalized. It's stable. <laughs> and according to her, that makes us stable. We're stable <laughs> in the shit show. Like, okay. That's not a bad argument. I can't find fault with that. Can you? No, neither can I. Oh, right, yeah. Good on her, uh, whoever that she is, the CEO of, of the JAC. Someone for the, um, something. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's, a, that's a good news story. Because South Africa is such a shit show, it's a very good uh, investment destination. Who would have thought? 
And she actually says all the other the other developed economies are now becoming shit shows. And as investors, they don't know where they're going to go. And because they don't know where they're going to go, or where the bottom is, and how bad it's going to get, they're like, nah, our money is not stable here. So let's go to somewhere that's already at the bottom because that's pretty stable, and let's put our money there. Like, I actually can't, I actually can't, uh, I can't find the fault in the logic. It's actually sound logic. It's stupid logic, but it's actually sound. Yeah, it is very sound. And just to end off, we spoke about like the, the, the business power cuts and how it's affecting them. And now the Department of Small Business Development, that's a fucking irony, says uh, they want to provide assistance in the form of loans, which will be made up of a grant as well. 10 bucks, not even 10 bucks, 10,000 bucks, Byron, that A, you need to be BE compliant. And B, no one's going no to get a loan. Because this happened during lockdown. There was a 200 billion rand emergency loan scheme offered by banks. How many people took it up? 5% of it at most. Because what is the one thing you don't want in uncertainty? More debt. <laughs> at all. Yeah. You don't want more debt. So this is a dumb scheme that's not going to work. Simple as that. I have every form of expectation on the planet that that's exactly what this is. It's just another... Do you know what this screams to me like? And I'm sure it screams like this to you too. This personally screams to me like the COVID loan. Oh, yeah, of course. And all it's going to be is like loads of people are now going to be applying for this loan. They're all going to go online and create these businesses and be like, hey, we're in trouble. Hey, please help us. Like, it's a, it's a real struggle here. We need your help. All these people are going to get their COVID loans. It's all going to be a load of shite, isn't it? And then it's just going to be like, okay, well done, chaps. I don't know. Yeah, then you're going to find people who have like, uh, who made like billions of rands through the PPE stuff. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we're really struggling. And they're going to get more loans. Struggling for to pay our employees. The, pro- the problem is, man, it's like, I, I've, me, I'm the government. I've fucked up your business. Yeah, I'm going to lend you some money that you're going to repay me with interest for me fucking up your business. Do you know in the old days, we used to actually have a word for that. Uh, we used to call it the protection racket. Isn't it like the old mafia protection racket? That's true, like you're gonna You're going to pay me not to fuck up your store. And if you don't, I'm going to fuck up your store. But every week, I'm going to come in here for my backhander. And if you don't, I want my protection money. You know? It's like, that's all it is. It's a state just like being like, ah, protection money. I'm going to offer you some loans because I fucked up your business. You better pay them back. Or I'll fuck up your business some more. You're like, that's what the EFF did the with core the, of these guys. That's what the EFF did with clicks, right? Pay us some money under the table, otherwise we'll keep burning down your stores. Apparently, they got two million rand from that. Not a bad gig. And then the CEO who paid them immigrated to Australia. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. <laughs> so yeah, welcome to welcome to Africa, man. They they screw you around, they destroy your business, they destroy your life, and then they give you back fifty cents. For every thousand rand you pay in tax and say, look, we're trying to help you. So it's such a con. It is such a con. It is the world's largest con, man. If, like, if you're a business who's struggling, don't get this. No. Don't. No. Don't. Anyway, I think we should about wrap it up, Byron. Uh, if you are keen on podcasts like this, let us know. We want to make one at least once a week. And uh, yeah, just as an added a benefit to our audience, these will be free. But uh, of course, if you want to subscribe to Substack, please do. We will have a paywall sooner or later. We want to create a bit of a spicier content on there and maybe 
behind the paywall we'll have interviews uh content on sort of controversial topics we can't put up on youtube and importantly substack gives us the ability to just speak openly like we have done so i mean we do tend to swear a bit more and be honest about wanting to poke Gwenny Matashi's boop with an guy and stuff like that like it's fun you can't say that on youtube i'm afraid no and we would ask you you know please don't leave comments that just says oh don't swear like okay but that's yeah just a vocabulary yeah yeah i mean if if you're really offended by swearing and all that you don't need to listen like it's fine you don't but don't tell us what to do because we certainly won't take that into account (laughs) at all (laughs) like at all anyway thanks for listening everyone thanks for watching and uh yeah let us know down in the comments on substack if you like this and we will see you in the next one have a good one cheers cheers bye